It's basically an allergic reaction where your body attacks itself. I can't walk, can't feel from my waist down, don't have bladder control. We have politics that seeped so far into the healthcare system that it's completely upended the patient-physician relationship. They try to make you feel like you're crazy. Today I sit down with Maddie DeGarry, who was injured while enrolled in the Pfizer vaccine clinical trial for children, her mother Stephanie DeGarry, and Brianne Dressen, who suffered adverse reactions while part of the AstraZeneca clinical trial. Brianne is the founder of react19.org, a research organization focused on long COVID and vaccine adverse events. We've been pushing and pounding down the doors of the federal government for the betterment of a year, and we're still nowhere closer to getting these people help than we were a year ago. This is America Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellick. Maddie and Stephanie DeGarry, Brianne Dresden, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. So thank you for coming here. And we're, of course, here ahead of this um, march that's going to be happening on Saturday against vaccine mandates. And I just want to highlight that because I keep seeing all this weird propaganda-esque press talking about it being anti-vaxxers or something. And it's really, really clearly about being against vaccine mandates. So but you are in a particularly, I guess, unusual situation in that you were very early vaccine adopters. Um, you went into the, Maddie, you were enrolled in the Pfizer trial. Um, yeah, and you were enrolled in the, in the AstraZeneca trial. Things didn't go as you expected. So maybe uh, between Stephanie and Maddie, maybe you can just tell me your story as a, for, to start. We had had some friends that were in the Pfizer trial, the adult trial, um, and had no problems. And she had enrolled her um, son in it. So my son found out about it through him um, and signed up. And then my daughter and my other son um, heard that he was doing it. And then they asked if they could do it as well. Um, we actually, my husband and I had also signed up for a trial. It ended up being the AstraZeneca trial. Um, that was stopped. So that's why we never were actually in the trial. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So Maddie, you were enrolled and so what happened? So I got my first vaccine December 31st and um, you get the second one. And I had like just the normal symptoms like fever, tiredness, that stuff. And then I got my second one January 20th. And then in the middle of the night, like of January, like it was in the middle of the night of that night, um, I felt like I didn't feel right. And then um, in the middle of the night, I felt sick, but my parents like, and I went into my parents' room, which I never do. And um, I was like, they're like, you don't have to go to school, but I don't like missing school because you have to make up work. So I was like, no, I'll go. Biggest mistake. Um, and then I got, I just kept getting worse throughout the day to the point where I could like barely walk. And like, I was in so much pain. I was so dizzy by like third period, but I didn't want to call my dad because I didn't like, and then I'd have to like go to the nurse and stuff, which I hated doing. So I just went through the day and when I got home, I like barely made it home, like off the bus. And then I like went into my dad's office and then I started like bawling my eyes out cause I was in so much pain. And then like my back hurt, my stomach hurt, my head hurt, I had a fever. 
of like 101 something. Um, my toes were numb and they were um, ice cold and they were white and same for my fingertips. And we called the trial people because um, that's what they told us to do if you had any complications. They told us to go to... Yeah, they told us to go to the ER. Um, and then we went to the ER because these were symptoms that no one else had had. So we went to the ER and then they basically did an ultrasound and then they did some blood tests and I think some came back abnormal, but they didn't say anything about it, obviously, because they don't want their vaccine to be like having problems. So obviously they're going to protect as much as they can. And then, um... They sent us home. We were there from like five till like 10. And then we went home and then I think it was like two days later we went back to the ER because I had more symptoms and I was in even more pain. And then they kept checking for stuff and stuff would come back but they would like dismiss it. They would say it's not a big deal. And then it just kept going on and then I got, my first admission was January 31st to the, um, second of February and then I got admitted the second time March 7th no March 6th and then I got out a week later on March 13th and they did an endoscopy and stuff and that's the day that they diagnosed me with functional neurological disorder because they said with endoscopy and everything um, even though the endoscopy did show stuff and the test did show stuff, like same for my MRI. And then when I woke up for my MRI, because I had my MRI and endoscopy at the same time, um, I couldn't walk. Like I tried to get up to go to the bathroom and I just collapsed. They were like, oh, it should go away tomorrow. So I went to bed that night and then I woke up the next day and tried to walk and I collapsed again. They were like, oh, it should go away in a few days because they're like, you can stay, but there's nothing we're going to do because you're just going to wait it out. And I was like, obviously, I want to go home. Then um, I progressively got worse. Oh, I also couldn't eat at the time. That's why we went in. And so I couldn't eat for a week before that. And then I eventually, at the end like of the mission, I could like shug shakes because I didn't want this. So you couldn't swallow, though? Yeah, but then I like forced myself. But it got to the point where it was too much, like I made it, and then I went out of the hospital, and then I couldn't do it anymore. Like I did it for like a day, and you had to do like 10 shakes, and I, every time I thought I was gonna throw up, and I felt so sick from them, because I had to chug them by a certain amount of time, or I'd, they would, were gonna put the feeding tube down me. And I didn't want that, so we went home, and then I couldn't eat for a month after we kept contacting them, contacting them, like, been a week she's she can't eat it's been two weeks she still can't eat it's been three weeks like we kept like trying to get them to do something and they wouldn't do anything and I also my walking was getting worse so like I was getting to the point where I couldn't like move I couldn't feel it at all any of that and then I got in they finally were gonna put me in because I started having seizures from a medicine called Lyrica I'd have 20 seizures a day and um it wouldn't necessarily knock me, like some of them would knock me unconscious, but um, some of them I could also hear, like people talking. And the, thing, the only thing that woke me up was a sternal rub, and it's really painful, and I have bruises all down my chest from it. And um, when I woke up, I was like, it's hard to breathe every time. We went to the hospital, 
and um, my blood sugar was super low. I was not doing good at all. We actually went to the hospital to get an EEG and stuff and to figure out my seizures, but then they eventually passed because we took me off the Lyrica. So we got admitted because my blood sugar was in the 40s and a good blood sugar is like 100 to 125. And I was like, they said, like if we would have waited another day, I wouldn't have made it. Um, so then we, um, they gave me like emergency glucose, but they gave me like a lot. They gave me like that big of a bottle because how low it was, but it ended up being way too much. And then my blood sugar spiked to 600. And then I had like a seizure type of thing. I was there for like a week and then I got transferred downstairs to rehab. And I was in rehab for like one and a half months. So I was there like about two months. I was there from April 9th to June 1st, so almost two months. But um, the rehab people were super mean. And um, I would cry every single day after to my mom while she was at work because my physical therapist said some mean things. She once said that if I wasn't gonna try because I wasn't fitting her standards of how quick. She's like, if I wasn't gonna, if you aren't gonna try, then you might as well just leave because there are other kids who need it more than you. She also, so like, I don't have much bladder control because of my, because I can't feel. And I was using the commode and I finally started to be able to like walk with a walker after like a month. And then she was like, I'm like, I don't know if I'll make it because she took it away, the commode. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll be able to make it since I was still like, really slow at walking with the walker and my legs went all over. And she's like, if a two-year-old can go to the bathroom by themselves, then you can. And then she just kept saying stuff and then, like none of her stuff would work. And then she would say I always argued with her because she would always like yell at me. And I would cry every single day after I, like I would call her cause she would be at work and I would bawl my eyes out. And then we weren't making any prog, like it was super slow progress. And they were, they just kept trying to give up on me, but I kept trying to push. And then there was a point like where like I was walking with a walker and they were like, they basically said, if you don't walk with a walker by the end of this week without the walker, like it was like 250 feet, then you're, then we're, making you leave and then they tried to send me to a mental hospital that they said was gonna help with my eating which they said was rumination syndrome which it isn't because that rumination is when you chew it and you spit it up and then you chew it again which is disgusting and I never did that um, <laughs> I just like threw it up <laughs> like it's just nasty I just like threw it up like it would just come up like and they literally saw it. so they tried to send us there and they said all these good things about it that it would help me and that I only have to be there for a week, but when we got there, they said I was gonna have to squat down to make sure I wasn't hiding anything. Um, they, they were gonna have to watch me to make sure I wasn't purging, make sure I wasn't exercising when I had none of that. I didn't have an eating disorder or anything. She couldn't even move. I could her. barely even walk. And then they were, I wasn't gonna have my phone. I couldn't have anything. And then they um, said I was gonna actually have to be there for like three months not a week. There were kids throwing glass, banging on doors, and they were really weird. I stopped Sounds. the admission because yeah, they lied to medical. us. And once, if she would have been admitted, I'd have no control over getting her out. So they made me sign in against medical advice to stop the admission. So she never, we were in the admission. And they said room. they could have sent her, sent me like to court or something. Yeah, I'd have to go to court. So, but I knew that from my husband. But so. Um, we, then I they said if it was like, 
if it wasn't safe for me, they'd have to send me to court for like child. I don't even remember. I mean, basically, they were they were saying that this is some kind of mental condition yes. that is not a physical yes. condition. But she's yeah, like so she had blood in her urine. There's just one example. Like if you have anxiety, which she doesn't have then you would not have blood in your urine. That's not what happens. That's just one example. If you have um, anxiety, you wouldn't have a cherry malformation that shows up on your MRI. If you have anxiety, it's not going to make your you know, red blood cells be high and then you know more about <laughs> the... Because I sent her my results and stuff. Doing great. They talk. Had the experience, you know. Right. So... They'd always brush, there's lots of abnormal results and everything has been brushed off as, oh, there's always an explanation. But then once we had other doctors start reviewing the records, they're like, why, well, did they do this? You know, did they, I forget all the different tests because of the blood and urine. Did they um, do a, a skin punch biopsy because of the um, not being able to feel in her legs? Like all the things that would have showed something, they didn't do. And anything that did show something, there was always an explanation. Oh, that's because they had a tourniquet on um, Which doesn't for make her sense because you have to use a tourniquet to get blood or something to help you get blood. And with that same blood test, they said that I was, for one of them, that I wasn't supposed to like do my feed before, but they never told us that. But for another blood test in the same like blood that they took, they're like, oh, well, you were supposed to have a feed before that. So they made excuses for everything that showed up. And then they're like, oh, well, that's not that serious. That's just mild because it wasn't like. I mean, basically, you had this feeling like the doctors were kind of predisposed to to dismiss the symptoms somehow, like the physical symptoms. Is that what you're, is that what you're yeah. basically saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what happened. Once we requested her medical records, like the full records, um, you saw a lot more in the notes from doctors. Oh, doctors, the nurses were also mean. They accused me of, this one nurse accused me of dumping my formula down the drain because there was a little bit of formula in the sink because you have to like let the air out so you don't get it in you. Um, so you have to like let the air out and sometimes it's hard to like time it right so some gets in there and she said the sink drain was full of formula which wouldn't make sense at all because it's a drain and then she said I was not I was going to the bathroom and not telling her so then they had to watch me go to the bathroom um and it was still the same because I wasn't lying and then the doctors said that they had to do my fades for now on. It's almost like they tried to drive her crazy. To make me a mental to, patient. Yeah, it's almost, and, I, and it's not unique to her. I mean, you've talked, mm -hmm. we've talked to lots of people and that's what they do. They try to make you feel like you're crazy. Like what's happening isn't really what, happening. Yes, right, yes, exactly. Tell them about your, the first ER. Oh my God, so the first ER. Oh. Um, there was this, like, they were like, there were a ton of people in there. They were all old people, so it was an adult hospital. When I went in there, I couldn't breathe, and they're like, well, your stats are normal. I was like, okay, well, I still can't breathe. And um, I was like hyperventilating, and he was like, the one doctor, so they couldn't catheterize me, and the lady was like, 
she went into the hospital because her stomach was distended just to give you yeah. a little bit it was like it looked like she was pregnant and then she started vomiting um, so we took her to the ER um, and when we got when after she threw up she started to not be able to breathe so we get to the ER she's like trying to breathe by hyperventilating um, and we get in there and they check and her oxygen levels were fine nothing else was fine her oxygen level so she was getting enough oxygen because she was compensating for it they did an x-ray and ended up her ng tube was in her esophagus so that's why she couldn't breathe um, and then her bowel like her small and large but bowels the one were doctor totally full said um he came in when they were trying to catheterize, like just came in and then was like, he was like, you are 13, you should not be crying and freaking out over this. You have anxiety and this is all anxiety and you need to stop hyperventilating or else we're gonna shove a tube down your throat and put you on a ventilator. So the problem is once you have functional neurologic disorder in your charts, everybody can see your charts, then nobody looks for because there was well, all this there's a real problem there was a real problem her ng tube was in her esophagus which and makes it hard to breathe people assume that it they assume that it's just anxiety so they pump well, her with medicine which makes her sicker they gave me ativan which didn't do a thing which was supposed to calm you down if you have anxiety but it didn't do a thing so, so prior to all this all she had was adhd and dermatographia Still has both of those, now a bunch more. So, so she was totally healthy. It sounds like you had some really challenging moments in these hospitals. It's hard to fathom, but you know, what is your, what has been your experience through all this? So first of all, I, whenever they entered the trial, I thought, if in the slim chance, the rare chance, anything happened. That they would, that would, they'd be in the best hands. Like if you're gonna have anything happen, the best time would be in a trial because they would do everything they could to get you better and to figure out why. Because that's the whole point of a trial. That's not what happened at all. I mean, at least in this trial, it was all about making the results look good. So they quickly, before they did any tests, had that functional neurologic disorder not diagnosed because they couldn't until they did some tests. Um, but they had it written in her, like the first hospital, uh, the first admission. So this is before an MRI, an endoscopy, before any significant tests. And this is when she had blood in her urine. So that was like seven times she had blood in her urine, by the way, not just once. So clearly that's a problem. Never did anything more to check. So. I mean, through my experience, what I've learned is I'm, when, you, when they say you have to advocate for your child, I, like I never thought that I'd have to advocate this hard. It's like a full-time yeah. full yeah. job. Like she's always doing stuff to try and help. So is Brie, like they're always doing stuff. You have to research on your own. And sometimes you find peer-reviewed articles that say this has happened to other people. Mm. Identical to what happened to her, but no, it didn't happen to her. So, I mean, it happened to her before those peer-reviewed articles were even written. So it's not even like she could like copy it, you know what I mean? If anything, people would be copying them. <laughs> I just, tra traditional medicine has failed. The only people that can help are the ones that don't accept insurance because they're not being controlled. Um, 
so you have to pay out of pocket but and they're the ones that know what's happening so for whatever reason i don't know if it's because they're afraid because i like you you had said earlier i i've got to think that there aren't this many horrible people in this world that are kind of just pushing her to the side and saying hey you took one for the team um i through all this what i've learned is the if, if you get your vaccine and you get injured I don't care if you were in the trial or not, you will not get help. You are on your own. Oh, that, I mean, and it's insurance, a... you won't be able to get help from a doctor that is covered by your insurance. You will not. I mean, that's a terrible indictment of the system. It's what's happening and it's real. And so why, why I think you meant, alluded to this a little bit earlier, but why did you decide to enroll in the trial in the first place? So we, Because it was both you and, and your daughter. You're, I mean, this is, you're very serious about trials, it seems. No, well, my this, brothers were yeah. in it too. Mm -hmm. So this, this is the first trial they were ever in, but my kids have always got, they had all their vaccinations. We get our flu shot every year. Um, I hear stories about people injured by vaccines and I, you know, for me, it's like, you don't know them, so it doesn't really, I don't know, you just, you know that it happened, but it's like, oh, that's rare. Nothing ever happened to my kids before. We've never had a problem. Um, I trusted what the government said. I trusted what the doctor said. And I, I wanted this pandemic to be over. And the way that it was presented to the world was this vaccine's gonna end the pandemic. I mean, my kids are stuck in, at home. They can't leave. We're wearing masks. I work in a school. I see how it's affecting, like, elementary age kids. So my kids would get the vaccine before everybody else. They'd be safe. I wouldn't have to worry. They'd be helping other people. Um, and that's why we enrolled. We wanted to get it, uh, you know, early, protect ourselves, but also help. You know? Contribute to the right. to society. Like I, I felt like this one, like other trials. You know, you think, oh, that's new, that's whatever, it's not safe. But the way it was presented to you, and the risks in the informed consent were like you're going to have cold symptoms. In the rare event, you can have an anaphylactic reaction, which I'm like, okay, that's you just need an EpiPen. You'll be there, it'll be fine. So, gotcha. I trusted. I trusted the government and I trusted the doctors. I don't anymore. Maddie's been through, you know, you know, multiple visits to hospitals. I can see Maddie's obviously still in a wheelchair. But so how is your, are you able to walk now? Or? No, I can't walk, can't feel from my waist down, don't have bladder control or control of going to the bathroom. I can't hold up my neck. So if I hold up my neck, it goes like that. It's hard to breathe because it's like slant, like goes back, and I have like pain all over my body and stomach pain. So it's uncomfortable to sit. Yeah, I lay down yeah. a ton and I sleep <laughs> all day. So does Brie. We love sleep. <laughs> and your feet when they come out of your wheelchair. Oh, oh yeah. My feet, like one time, my foot. Okay, maybe a few times. It like went behind like that tiny wheel. And then I guess it like went up and like my toe or something got stuck because I was like trying to move and it wouldn't move. I was because you can't feel. Jamming my toe. And then one time my friend, so we were like 
bowling and I had like my legs as like the thingy. Uh, the like ramp. ramps. Yeah. Because so. I can't hold up a bowling ball because I'm super weak and I, pu I pushed it, she pushed it down and then it like flew off my legs and then landed on my toes I guess and then they got all swollen and purple but I couldn't feel a thing. So, and my yeah. brother has hit me with the charger and I couldn't feel it. <laughs> <laughs> he's not Can abusive. Admit that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not abusive, but like he just we joke around. Brother, he's a brother, and he's like he wanted to make sure she couldn't feel, and he proved that she couldn't. I mean, so two things with that: she can't feel, but she we also the whole back to the mental thing. She lives her life. She goes bowling. She adapts. So it's it's trying to prove the whole functional neurologic disorder, being depressed, being anxiety, because that's what they're saying with a lot of these people so still she lives her life at this point like they're suggesting that her paralysis is yep. in some sort of inner sometime in her head, anxiety you know? fascinating she definitely right. has adhd but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've gotten some you know second opinions on this obviously you were you were just talking about that right yes so we we did go to one other hospital it's a smaller hospital which was kind of a waste of time but they are maintaining her the doctors the doctors will say that there are things wrong to you they won't put it in the charts in the charts but the nurses are super nice there but so like one example is when she saw the cardiologist he's like well she definitely has um pots or dysautonomia but, I'm not gonna but he's like, I don't see any point in putting it in her charts. I'm like, I see a point. Um, now, they couldn't do, the only thing they could do was a sit-stand test. Um, but based on her other symptoms and the, the other tests that he did, that's just one example. The neurologist um, had said, there's, you know, there's definitely something wrong. He's, and, and he started out with, I need to, I want to figure this out. And then aligned with the same time with Bree. Um, was when he changed his position to its functional neurologic disorder. And it's the exact same, literally the same, like it was in September or October. That's like when everything changed again. So uh, maybe, okay, so let you, <laughs> you've been, um, you know, hearing everything that's being said here. And now you're kind of, you've kind of been entered into the story. So, so what happened? Of all the cases, so I myself, I know for a fact, like I've talked to well over 12,000 people who have had adverse events to the COVID vaccines. Um, and that's at a minimum. So this is your mission in life? You know? Right now, yes. If the government actually does their job, I would like to go back to focusing on healing and being able to dedicate my time to helping, you know, my dear friend Maddie over here. But of all the cases, there's a couple of cases that are you know, the top two of massive neglect, massive mishandling by the drug companies, the test clinics, the government, and that's Maddie DeGary's case, 100% is at the top of that list. Her doctors gaslit her, they abandoned her, they did everything they could to hide her and to put a label on her. And that child right there deserves way better than what she got hands down. And every time I try to quit this, because this is toxic, and this is hard, and this is ugly, 
I call Steph and I'm like, I'm done. She's like, okay, I'll get Maddie on the phone and you can tell her that you're done. <laughs> no, we so, text every day. Yeah, so until Maddie's better, we can't walk away. And now there's, there's no more way. kids. There's more kids like her. Like she's, her new friends now are vaccine injured. Same symptoms. There's a community of kids here in the United States that are trapped in sick bodies and they don't need to be. So in Maddie's case, she has all of these doctors that were, you know, looking at symptoms, thinking it's FND. She has FND put in her chart one time and it plagues her for over a year now for her own to get medical care. They don't look at the underlying ideology of what's going on period. They don't do small fiber neuropathy tests. They don't do POTS testing. They don't do the appropriate blood work to look for autoimmune disorders. Mass cell. Mass cell. They're not looking at anything that's going to actually treat the underlying condition because one doctor decided she has FND. So all of the doctors after that, it's FND. We don't need to worry about it. Where's the second opinion? Where's the honest and objective look at her case? It's not happening. And I don't know how Steph does this every single day. Like I don't, because I just get little tastes of it and it makes me so upset that this is what we have allowed to happen to a child. This is the United States of America. This is beyond un-American. You participated in I think not one, but maybe two hearings that Senator Ron Johnson organized and told, you know, elements of this story. And I, and I still want to get your whole story on record. There hasn't been, you know, doctors or anybody interested in actually, you know, figuring this out. I mean, that it just, it's... So it's not your, tip, so it's not your doctors that you're going to go to that esteemed children's hospital for, so it's first like of all, the challenge stuff. is the challenge with a child is a lot of these places that everybody else is going to, they won't see children. So you're limited on the places that you can go to get help for something complex. So a lot of the places that I've been referred to, they, they, they don't treat children. So that number one. So the big children's hospitals, a lot of them, they're running... COVID vaccine trials at. So I've learned that if that is happening at the hospital, you might as well not even waste your time. Because there's this potential for conflict of interest or... There right? is. But I mean, like there's, and I'm going to say names. So Dr. Um, Whalen, right, mm -hmm. at UCLA, wrote a letter to the FDA about concerns that he had about a similar reaction to the COVID vaccines that kids were having to COVID with the um, MIS-C. So it's basically an allergic reaction where your body attacks itself. It's the same thing that's happening and what happened to her. I mean, there's so many different things you can call it as the problem. Like all these, the MIS-C, the Guillain-Barre, the mast cell, um, MCAS with the pot, uh, POTS and with um, having EDS, she's also hypermobile, mm -hmm. so she, so am I. There's all these different things that are, it's, it's all the same thing. They just have different diagnoses or they'll break them up. They all go together. 
Mm-hmm. You, Maddie doesn't have any of those diagnoses. No. She's not getting any of that because no. she's a kid. So but, then you narrow down the, the diagnoses and the resources to pediatricians and pediatric specialists. But then you also have the added layer of the current stigma with anyone being able to talk about the COVID vaccines. Right. So then that narrows down your pool of people that are willing to take care of her even further. So she has a very, very small window yeah. of being able to get medical care. And she has to do it under guise of darkness and quietness and delicateness. Yeah. Right. Because of the word COVID vaccine is involved. Like if no one knew that it was from, if like if no one knew about our, that our cases were from the COVID vaccine and they just started fresh, it would probably be way different. Like mm-hmm. if we just said it was from something else. Mm-hmm. And we have people that have to do that because they're so desperate for care. And so they lie to their doctors and say, hey, I got COVID. Now I have X, Y, and Z problem. And guess what? They get care. I see. But, the, but there's this, if it's associated with a vaccine, people are afraid to take it up because it might suggest there's something wrong. No doctor is going to say, especially for a child that was in the, in the trial, okay, just think about it. Do you want to be the doctor that's in traditional medicine? So if outside of traditional medicine is a different story because those are the people that are, I think, unique and they're, they're, they're trying to dig and they're trying to figure it out. Do you want to be the doctor that says, she has, when you know what tests are going to show something, you do those tests, she has whatever it is. This is what's happening. You give the concrete proof basically saying they lied in the trial. They treated her completely wrong from January until October when we switched her care. Do you want to be that doctor? What do you think is going to happen to you if you're that doctor that says that? Hmm. You've lost your career. Guaranteed. And there are a couple, there's a couple of doctors that have the smoking gun mm-hmm. and they're afraid. Yeah. Or there's been they're doctors who like leave their job because right. they were trying to mandate the vaccine. At, like the... If you question the vaccine, what's going to happen to you? Nobody knows. And so it's kind of strange for people to question um, that there would be adverse events when in the history of vaccines, all vaccines have caused side mm-hmm. effects. Yes, the flu vaccine has caused mm-hmm. fatalities. Like this isn't new. So it's just, it blows my mind that for some reason we would assume that the COVID vaccines would be any safer than previous vaccines. And then if we talk about it, then that's not okay to talk about it. It's not okay to take care of those people that fall through the cracks. It blows my mind. And these doctors, they're getting the same because their licenses mm-hmm. have been threatened, they're threatened because of misinformation. That's the key. Yeah, we have people in our group that they've lost their physicians after those directives came from the medical boards. Mm -hmm. The doctors called them and said, I'm sorry, I can't be your doctor anymore because you you yourself don't put bread on my table. And I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I continue to see you. So we have politics that seeped so far into the healthcare system that it's completely upended the patient-physician relationship. And that never should be the case. And then also we have politics that seeped into the scientific process. And that also should not be the case. We should have protocols, you know, systems, everything set in place to keep that from happening. But under the guise of pandemic, 
all of a sudden all of those rules and safeguards and protocols, we're gonna throw them out the window because of a pandemic. Instead of the whole reason we have this setup is for this exact circumstance when we are in crisis globally, right? To make sure that the corruption and the problem that we're in doesn't happen. So the sad reality is, is there are very real people, families um, that have been shattered because these protocols have not been followed. Because we have allowed and openly we've allowed politics to seep into all of these processes. When politics should have nothing politics to do with this. Politics and money, money is and the money, other. It's yeah. not just politics, it's money. Yeah, so you have all of these people that, you know, with power, you know, the puppet masters or whatever you want to call it. And then you've got Maddie in a wheelchair and she's fighting for her life. And like, so I, I know I mean, there's Maddie. even been deaths. Like there's been a, yes, there was a kid. Deaths, fatalities. Who died, that was 16. He was playing basketball on the, like with his friend and then he just um, collapsed. And then basically they did CPR and basically passed away right there. So Ernest Ramirez. heart was enlarged double, more than double the size, normal. So Maddie DeGary, that's who she sees. She sees what happens to Ernest Ramirez. She sees what happens to her new injured friends. That wouldn't have happened to him if they would have. If they were talking about it, if they said, you know, and we actually, we brought this up to the FDA. I don't know if I told you guys this, but like the second meeting we had with Peter Marks, we had a critical care physician who's injured on that call. And she made it very clear, look, before you guys provided the communication to the medical community about myocarditis, we had one case that we recognized and identified from the vaccines. However, after that directive was given, we were able to identify 35 in the next two and a half weeks. So what happened to those before the directive came out? Obviously, they fell through the cracks. They're probably lost in this very me complicated medical system that we're all, you know, victims of now. So the government agencies doing their job is, provides avenues for all of us to get medical care. It opens up the doors for us to be able to get the appropriate testing, the diagnostics, the research that needs to happen to get these people better. But because they're not doing their jobs, right? then we have people that continue to suffer. We have people that are literally dying. We have people like Maddie DeGary, who slowly is declining. She's not getting better. And that's what makes me so upset about this case. And there's people who like get so like, from people like not doctors not helping them or anything, they just get so like beat up from themselves and then they take their own lives. Yeah, so yeah, multiple. And it's common. Taking their own deaths. And so, of course, you know, yeah, we get pegged with anxiety, right? Over 80% of the members of our organization, we, because the government wasn't helping us, so we have to help ourselves. So we launched our, launched our own 501c3. It's react19.org. And we, it's a, launched by patients, and it's for the patients. And over 80% of our membership was <clears throat> misdiagnosed anxiety initially. And some of us were able to, you know, cope with it. get appropriate, you know, diagnoses months after the fact. 
but then you still have an even amount like Maddie to Gary who they can't get the appropriate testing to get appropriate diagnoses, which then how is she going to get better if they're not going to be willing to examine and find the underlying cause of what's going on? They're just masking the symptoms, you know, well, physical yeah. therapists gaslighting her, doctors gaslighting her. That's not going to get her better. Well, the other problem is they, they just medicate and with most of the people, because of what's happening, the medication is making, mo most medication, other than antihistamines, um, makes them worse. So she talked about the seizures and stuff. So that was um, the gabapentin, the Lyrica, Compazine, all those she had reactions to. She had the MRI and she got worse after the MRI. And the MRIs used gadolinium with the contrast. We're fairly certain she's allergic to metals. I'm gonna take a step back, just real quick. The allergist and immunologist that she saw, saw her for 15 minutes and did zero tests. The biggest thing happening to her, one of the biggest things is in, it's, it's like, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mast cell, it's, it's an allergic reaction. 15 minutes, zero tests. Collaborated with the principal investigator. It said it before and after the appointment. She literally put it in the notes. And you think, again, this is because of this anxiety, uh, diag this diagnosis of a kind of cycle. So could I, should I speak to that? Yeah. So, so my yeah, example is a classic example of what these misdiagnoses can do in a case. You know, obviously, Maddie, you get slapped <clears throat> with the label and that's it. There's no further investigation. So for me, I was misdiagnosed with anxiety when I was incontinent, peeing my pants. Oh, blood in my urine like Maddie as well. And I couldn't walk. So my chart, last November, anxiety due to the COVID vaccine. So, so you were, I, you so maybe, maybe this is the opportunity where you just tell me a little more about your situation. So you started, you enrolled right. in the AstraZeneca trial and then. Yeah. Oh, oh and, but and, I have short-term yeah. memory loss, so before I forget. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> right. Yeah, we all are like space cadets oh, now. I shouldn't be laughing. So, no, but that's legit. That's literally. what you have to do. Like, we, we may seem humor. very relaxed, but it's like, we, that's how you cope. You with have humor. to, yeah, otherwise this thing will eat you up and spit you out and you'll be dead. And that's what happens with the people. And we've seen it. We literally have seen this thing consume people to the point where they take their own lives. So we have to have our own strange way of coping. And for us, it's cracking jokes about our memory loss and our rashes and even the fact one, that we have diarrhea for days. And Even one person like sent her a note, wasn't it? Yeah, there's been several. Yeah. Several. Sad. And they all deserved better. So yeah, so like, you know, and this is how it is with any chronic illness. Someone has a chronic illness. In our case, someone gets vaccinated and has an adverse event. Not everybody, but some. And it's like a bomb goes off and it cons the blast radius consumes your family, your friends, your work community. Your life is, you know, you go from a healthy functioning person to confined to your room and to your home, just trying to survive for months. And then what happens? All of those people that depend on you, you now depend on all of them. It's like a total 180, upends your whole life. And then, you know, just like Steph, Steph has been consumed with trying to advocate for her daughter to the point where she like, it's like every other day, she's like, I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I can do this. So we reach our limits. Like 
regularly. And then we have to figure out how to gather the pieces, put ourselves back together, and keep pushing forward because we don't have any other choice. Well, some of us are making the choice, you know, to end it, you know, but at the same time, it's not like a black and white decision for them either. With the anxiety, my anxiety diagnosis plagued me clear until I went to the NIH. So I went to the NIH in June. My injury was in November. So that was six months, seven months. And then finally at the NIH, I was able to get appropriate diagnoses. Non-like dependent neuropathy. Pretty sure that's not anxiety. You can't get that from anxiety. Severe postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Short-term memory loss. Severe tinnitus. Uh, sensory neuropathy in my hands and my feet. Um, that's not anxiety. But after I was able to get those appropriate diagnoses from lead researchers uh, in COVID, my doctors started taking me seriously. But even with all of that paperwork, that huge paper trail, and you know the top researchers in the country giving me appropriate diagnoses, my doctors still, in our office visits, they're hesitant to say the word COVID vaccine. So they say COVID-related illness. COVID vaccine. So if we can't even say the words COVID vaccine in a medical environment with two people sitting in a <coughs> doctor's office, HIPAA compliant, right? Privacy, like the privacy laws here in the United States for healthcare are, you know, like top of the line, right? We protect medical information like nobody's business. And even with that setup, we're still gonna say COVID-related illness instead of the word COVID vaccine? Where does that come from? Who's holding the puppet strings to make that happen? Who's are, like I really wanna know at this point, who was the one doing this to us? Who is the one that has done this to Maddie? Because it's not just one or two people. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. And, and you're and they're all afraid. And you're not talking about the injury. You're talking about the, the response, right? right? Or lack of. So, yeah, and it's, it starts somewhere. And it starts with leadership. And it started with leadership in multiple positions. So the drug companies and the government level, you know. And then you have the healthcare agencies, um, like the AMA. They can provide directive, appropriate directive to all of these medical facilities. Because really, the only reason we're having this conversation is because nothing is happening for these sick people. If the appropriate things were happening for these sick people, we wouldn't well, be here. We would be home yeah. focusing on our healing. There are, so there are doctors that do know what's going on and they will admit it. Once again, they are not covered by insurance. <laughs> They're doing the same tests that should have been done so they're out of pocket and, and they actually admit what yeah they admit it was from the something. vaccine you know because and they've treated people but like a lot of people don't have the money to do that hmm. so i mean we're in that position where we are to the point where we're gonna have to set up a life finder and i've avoided this doing this clear up until this point but we're at the point where we have exhausted i'm on the phone with doctors every night i go to work and then i come home and i do i talk to doctors I, i'm That's on the phone she does. and then 
she can't do anything for her. She can't transfer herself from the bed to the wheelchair. Like she relies on me and my husband, my kids help too. But it's like, this is our life. That is all that we do. We have not gone, we, we don't, we don't go out. We don't, we can't. This is a vacation for her. Okay, by the way. No, I'm not even joking because it's like, but this is what it does to people's lives. It's one thing to be sick and it's a whole other thing to be sick with what feels like the world is against you. And you, you don't did, know what's going on. And you did nothing wrong. These well, people did nothing wrong. Sounds like, it sounds like you Some kind of did mandated. everything right. I mean, at least yeah. what you were, what was we did, right. We did what we thought was right and we made that choice, especially like Maddie and I, like we, we gladly signed up to do our part to be an active participant in the scientific process to get everybody out of the pandemic. And now that there's something that has gone wrong, instead of actually looking at it, investigating it, we've been cast aside, marginalized, silenced. And most people were honestly getting COVID, like almost like, like a lot of people in my school have gotten COVID, like, and whether they had the vaccine or not. And none of them are like severe cases. They just get a little sick, like a cold. So Brianne, you, you know, it's been over a year since you took the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, experienced these reactions, kind of started getting through it and then got motivated and started connecting people. And I just want you to tell me a little bit about that process. You're in the lead paragraph of an article in Science right now. Um, the article is, in rare cases, coronavirus vaccines may cause long COVID-like symptoms. Um, I imagine there's a bit of a story to getting to this, to that point as well. I wanted, I wanted to kind of, you know, chart that for sort of finding, finding the other people who are experiencing the sorts of things you did and then, you know, kind of getting us to, to this point where, you know, there's a major magazine is, is talking about, um, symptoms of va that vaccines may cause, right? Right. So yeah, so I got my COVID vaccine on no November 4th, 2020. And uh, my reaction started within an hour, ended up with pins and needles down my arm, had double vision that night, sound sensitivity that night. Uh, and over the next two and a half weeks, my symptoms progressed to the point where I had extreme tachycardia, blood pressure fluctuations, temperature fluctuations. Um, my sound sensitivity and light sensitivity became so severe, I had to be confined to my bedroom 24 seven. Um, I have two little kids, so it was very traumatizing to them. My little boy would come and try to hold my hand to you know, comfort his mom and my hands were on fire. It hurt so he couldn't even touch my hand. Uh, I had tinnitus in both of my ears, a freight train in one, and like the ee in the other. You know, and so with everything going on, the head pain and the, you know, the motor dysfunction, uh, I landed in the hospital just before Thanksgiving, and that's when I was given my inappropriate diagnosis of anxiety. I was sent home from the hospital with intensive occupational and physical therapy with a diagnosis of anxiety. Um, had to learn how to walk again. Uh, retrain my bladder, retrain my colon. I couldn't even sort a box of toys. It was just too much. And I ended up with these horrific 
internal vibrations and so it basically feels like you have an electrical shock like surging through your body 24 7. and so your brain vibrates all the time and so my eyes i couldn't see straight because i was seeing double still but then it also felt like my eyes were vi vibrating because my brain felt like it was vibrating and it was so severe that i couldn't think i couldn't eat the only thing i could do is breathe and i just remember day after day and i still can't figure out how you don't cry when you talk about your thing because it's just so much worse so um but yeah i couldn't breathe i remember waking up every day and just okay just breathe just breathe for one minute just breathe in and breathe out because the sensations were that painful they were that horrific all i could do was try to live minute by minute and then after months of existing like that, I was able to extend that to living hour by hour. And now I can live day by day. But it took a long time. I mean, it took like seven months before I was like able to live day by day. So the reaction for me was life changing. I went from a very healthy mother of two to confined to my bedroom 24 seven, just literally trying to convince myself that I needed to live like this that I had no choice, there was no way out, I had to live like this. And instead of that being just for a little bit of time, it was months, just unrelenting, severe pain, um, electrical sensations. Um, it was the worst experience of my life and I would never wish that on anyone, let alone a child, and especially marching someone to that fate without any kind of help for them. It seems like the most barbaric thing that we could do to other people. Because these are people, I mean, these are humans. These are human beings, you know. We, we don't need to be vilified as anti-vax or, you know, um, against the government or as Barilla, the CEO of Pfizer, criminals. Is that what we're called, criminals? Criminals. How can we be criminals? We signed up for the clinical trials. We actively participated in the scientific process for the betterment of society. And somehow that makes us criminals. You somehow along the way decided to start connecting people, oh, yeah. right? Sorry. No, no. Short term memory loss. No, no. Okay. <laughs> no but yeah. this is, I mean, so, hence why we're part too. of the reason why we're sitting here right now, right? So, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, so um, after enduring like this for months, totally on my own. I thought it was an isolated incident. Um, yeah, and lifetime vaccine taker, no problems, right? So I didn't think it was gonna be a big deal when I got my vaccine. Um, but I suffered like that totally on my own. There was nobody else we could figure out um, that had this same set of symptoms coming <clears throat> on from the vaccine. So my husband, he's a, he's a PhD scientist. He got to work right away trying to figure out what was actually happening to his wife, right? Because all of a sudden he was taking care of the kids, trying to keep me alive, try to hold down his job. I mean, we were a sinking ship at our house. <laughs> and so, um, so through the research, he started putting together some of these um, theories that is this the spike protein that's causing this? Is this an immune dysfunction? Is this autoimmunity? You know, so all those questions, he started combing through the peer-reviewed published articles and he came up with a pretty good concept pretty early. So he started reaching out to scientists all over the globe. COVID experts is who, where this landed. The symptoms, and it's in the Science Mag article, 
they are so similar to long COVID hmm. that that's given us a kind of base where to where we can look for testing, treatments, um, you know, even resources. So there's several vaccine injured that have lied and said that they had COVID so they can get into long COVID mm. clinics because we're so desperate for care. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. Just let us into the clinic, right? So I ended up in these uh, long COVID forums, just kind of lurking there on my own, you know, it's kind of like a I, I'm yeah. kid's one <laughs> for her. Yeah, I just wrote as a fraud. I felt like a fraud for a long time because yeah. yeah. you're just sitting there gleaning all of this information off of these people and you're like, this is all of my problem. Every one of these symptoms. Oh, and then you try some of their treatments and their treatments, they work. So, okay, so maybe it is a spike protein. So my husband reached out to the NIH in January. The NIH, from there, they postulated the theory that this is tied to the spike protein. It's immune-mediated process. And that theory still holds today. But if you can't actually look at the underlying cause, you're going to end up like Maddie, trapped in a body with no help. And I've been incredibly lucky because I was able to get help. And I still am not even close to being better. Like right now, like my body is vibrating. But it's better than nothing. So after doing this for months all on my own, right, I ran into Dr. Denise Hertz. She's an injured physician. Um, and she had a small email group, and this was in March. There was like five of us. But then by April, we realized that we weren't just a small group. We were not just isolated incidents. And so we expanded into some social groups on uh, Facebook. And by June, we had well over 2,000 members. That's how we found. And that's how we found each other. And you say you've actually spoken to 12,000 people. Yes. So, so through react19.org, we've been able to connect with other vaccine injured individuals. And these are people that have been on their own for months. So these are not people that were, that felt like crap for a couple of weeks. Like these are people who their lives have been altered. They've been trying to figure this out on their own for months. And some of them didn't even know we existed. So for example, we had a woman and this was just like a month ago, a month and a half ago. Natty, you're doing so good. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't know we existed. She thought she was totally on her own because of the full on stop on the flow of information on this issue. She thought she was on her own for months and months and months to the point where she thought that it would be a reasonable idea to book tickets to Switzerland and have humane euthanasia done. So this is a woman that has four young kids. This is how bad it is. This is how bad the internal vibrations are. When we go to bed at night, we don't just go to bed and the lights go off and our brains turn off and we go to sleep. We go to bed and when everything's quiet, then our bodies remind us how sick we are because we're being electrocuted 24-7. So it's not like people are just laying around on their couches. Their bodies are attacking themselves from the inside out. So of course, if you've got that going on, you can't sleep, you can't eat, right? And then for her and many others, there is no way out. What's the point of living? So instead of the, and the FDA knows about this. I have emailed Janet Woodcock about this and she has replied to me and said, this is so sad. 
So we're writing eulogies for our dead friends. And all we can get from the federal government is, this is so sad. These people need help. They did their part. And we've been pushing and pounding down the doors of the federal government for the betterment of a year. And we're still nowhere closer to getting these people help than we were a year ago. And so just let me get this straight. With all, with everything we know, with this, you know, we, with this article now published on this topic, you know, it's very um, verboten topic. Um, Maddie, is, you're still not getting help. No, she has no treatment. My treatment is drugs. Not, okay, I sound that. Is medicine. Yeah. I'm on like 17 meds. None Most of, of which them cause, are. none of which address the underlying issue. She, yeah, she has none like her really stomach's help. a mess. Her, there's, she's zero good bacteria in her stomach. Zero. But so but basically, you're just looking for a good doctor who can truly assess her case. We found and, good doctors. It's just you have to go through all these things because of my case. Yeah. And have money. Yes, the money's the, I mean, it's. So the treatment... Like it that, takes a lot yeah. of time to do yes. all this stuff. And test results can take months to get back. And it's in, you know, they're, they're in other states. And then the treatment can take five months. Because if you wait too long, so if, if this, if you wait too long, you have more things to fix. Because it's just going to continue to get worse. So if you're treated early, you're done. Like, you could be fine. I'm going to use the example with the, re the MISC. It's IVIG and steroids. I have our neighbor. Her son got MISC from COVID. He's totally fine now. But he got treatment within the first week. Yeah, after a week, yeah. he was yeah. normal. Maddie, you're a very, very brave young girl. And I'm so Thank you. happy to have you here on the show. Um, as we finish, what I'm getting here is Let's acknowledge that these things are a reality. Um, let's make sure people can get early treatment so that they can get treated. Um, what What are your this is this is we, what I'm hearing this We need to figure far. out yeah. the root. Why is this happening to people? Figure out that. Figure out why, and then so it doesn't happen to other people. Then you don't need to be anti-vaccination. You can still have the vaccination if it works, but if it's going to make certain people sick figure out why all we're doing is gonna we're gonna drive up medical costs because now they have more problems so it's not about don't have the vaccination okay if it's going to work then we should have vaccinations if they work but if people are going to get sick just like with the flu shot they say if you have an allergy to eggs you probably shouldn't have this version of the flu shot or you should take a bunch of Benadryl or have your EpiPen. You know, it's like, just figure it out. They know they're not figuring it out. <laughs> figure it out. Because this could happen to anybody. And allow it to be figured out. And just because it didn't happen to vaccine one, she was fine with one. It could happen on the second. It could happen on the third. It could happen on the fourth. So you're just going to keep having more and more people until they figure out why and how to treat them. Until they do the robust studies and yes, research to understand what what's they, really going on and, and be transparent about it. Right. That's what they didn't do. Transparent. Admit it. What Admit a novel it. concept, right? Transparency. <laughs> it's, it's admitted, you know, because if you would admit, okay, if 
you do a trial, somebody gets, something happens, you figure out why, and then you, you know how to treat it. People aren't gonna not get the vaccine because something could happen if they know that there's a solution for it or, or they know to avoid it because of X. Just do that, it's that simple. It doesn't but need right to now, be this hard. If you hide it, it's creating a bunch of people that are afraid. It's not anti-vaccination, it's afraid. It's just, I don't know, it, my whole thing from the beginning on this has been, these are human beings. I mean, for some people, yeah, we're numbers, but those numbers have faces, they have families, you know, they have dogs, they have jobs. These did are human have beings. Yeah, most of us have dogs. No, did have jobs. Did have jobs, yes, yes, did have jobs. Because they can't work anymore now. So. Most of them. So we know at this point the government isn't going to do what needs to be done anytime soon. So it's up to us as fellow humans to help each other. And that's kind of what we were hoping would happen with the pandemic, that we would, you know, come together and support each other, you know, but the vaccine injured and those with long COVID as well, they really do need that help. Their life, their quality of life totally depends on good people just coming to help us, to support us. And that comes in many forms. It can come, just talk about it, say, yeah, you know, the vaccines can cause some problems. It doesn't have to be the vaccines are bad, stop the vaccine program and, you know, but it's kind of strange that that's all you hear from this side that makes it through to, you know, some of the bigger media outlets. But they're not sharing our stories and that's not our fault, by the way. We've tried. Steph and I gladly, mm -hmm. we would gladly talk to the New York Times. We would gladly talk to CNN. Well, we have talked to them sometimes. And we have talked to them. I've talked to three reporters at the New York Times myself. You're not seeing it on those outlets for a reason and it's not because of us. We have nothing to hide and we have nothing to lose by sharing our stories. We are that sick and that desperate for help. And if this is what it takes to get 12,000 Americans the appropriate help that's needed, then yes, we're gonna keep fighting and we're gonna keep standing up for the truth. We're gonna keep standing up for what's right. Well, Maddie, um it's really, really great to have you here and sticking it out here with us on, on the show. And Stephanie, Maddie DeGary, Brianne Dressen, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thank you very much. Thank you. The CDC and the FDA did not immediately respond to our requests for comment. Mm -hmm.